Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. How are you doing this morning? Doing good? Good deal. Hey, um, today we are kicking off a series, not only is it Easter, but we're kicking off a series called I'm Not Blank Enough. Uh, because we figure everybody's got blanks in their lives, and they fill it with all sorts of different things, so let's talk about that for the next few weeks. Have you watched The Voice? Yes. Anybody, anybody Voice fans? Uh, you know, Adam Levine, Blake Shelton. This this season, I think, is it, uh, it's Usher and Shakira, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Shakira fans, right? Um, I remember the first time I watched The Voice. Uh, it was interesting because... It's, if you haven't ever watched The Voice, it's a singing competition, uh, basically. It's a, it's a reality show where people sing and, you know, hopefully they're going to get some big contract and make a bunch of money. But the show has a twist. The, the very first round that they televise is called the Blind Audition Round. And that's what intrigued me about The Voice. Because the, the, the first time I saw it, I remember it, it was so intense, man. The person steps out on the stage, and there's four big red chairs in front of them, and their backs are to them. And it's the judges. It's Adam and Blake and either, either Shakira and Usher or CeeLo and Christina, depending on uh, who's got an album coming out that season. Um, you, know, you know that's how it works. I know it. You know it. It's what they do. Anyway, there's these big, big red chairs, and... And you just start singing, and they can't see you. So, so it's not, they're judging you based solely upon how good you can sing, not how cool you look, uh, not, not if you look hip and, and trendy, and if they think your look will sell, just based on the voice. That's why it's called the voice. And so a person starts singing, and the judges are listening, and if they like what they hear, they hit a big red button. And, and a big neon sign or a lighted sign comes on and says, I want you, and their chair turns around. And it's this moment. You can see it on their face. It's, it's a moment of relief. Oh, whew, they want me. All right, and sometimes, you know, if the person's really good, two, three, all four chairs will turn around, which, you know, that's a huge ego boost. All of these four judges, they want to be my coach. They want me. And it's intense, man. And, and then if, if multiple judges start to turn around, then, then they start arguing with each other. Who discovered Justin Bieber and who's got the number one hit? And they start going back and forth. Who was the person that won last season? And it's, it's interesting. But you know what's devastating? When no chairs turn around. Have you ever seen an episode like that? The person's giving it all they have. And they're singing their heart out. And nobody turns around. That's just downright depressing, y'all. That's, that's watching TV and thinking, man, I need a, like an upper or something. I can't watch this. Man, i got to get a drink. I don't know. Why. This, is, this is nobody. The, the message is clear, isn't it? Nobody wants them. Nobody wants this person. Dude, you're going home. You've been rejected. It's back to, to, to singing, you know, Eternal Flame at your cousin's wedding in Wisconsin. That's what you've got to look forward to. No big record contract. You're doing wedding shows. That's, that's life. And it hit me one night. I was watching The Voice and this person, nobody turned their chairs around. You can just see the look of rejection on their face. And, and it just hit me like, like, a, like a punch in the face. I thought, you know, most of us go through our lives auditioning for someone in a red chair 
to try to get them to turn around. We're waiting on, on somebody somewhere to just to hit a button to, to, say, to say, I want you. I think you're blank enough. Most of us live our lives asking ourselves the question, am I blank enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I, am I disciplined enough? Am I devoted enough? And we audition in front of these self-appointed judges in our mind. And we do whatever we can to try somehow just to get them to turn around. But they never really turn around, do they? No matter how hard we try, they, they never hit the button to turn around and say, I want you. And, and we're left with the feeling, I guess I'm not blank enough. It's, it, we do it so much so that it seems like we have a blanking crisis in our lives. A blanking crisis. And the blank can change from person to person, from moment to moment. What we try to fill in that blank can be all sorts of different things. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'll tell you what. Let's do this. Let's do some audience participation. This will be fun. How about, you know, you think for just a second... Don't, don't give me like the churchy answer. What would you fill in the blank? You know the churchy answer where you gotta, you can't be real. I want you to be honest. Okay? I know it's Easter Sunday. Everybody's got their like Easter clothes on. I kind of look like an Easter egg. Uh, it's cool. Um, you got, you got to, I want you to just start yelling out. I'm not what? I'm not, somebody, come on, just yell it out. What? Educated. Patient. Patient. That's, it's a parent of a preschooler. <laughs> rich. rich enough. I'm not rich enough, man. If I just had more money. I'm not what? Come on, somebody else in the balcony. I'm not what? Perfect. Perfect enough. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not consistent enough. I'm not strong enough. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a bunch of different blanks in our lives that we believe. Because, because I'm tired of the of the enemy whispering in my head, hey, hey Josh, you're not you're not good enough. I'm tired of, of, of coming out here to try to to speak something encouraging to us and, and, and yet while I'm walking all all I can hear the enemy is saying, You're not good enough to do this. Just the other day yesterday, I'm getting ready for Easter. I'm in traffic and somebody won't let me over. I got mad. <laughs> I was mad. I was yelling because you know, you know that you know that experience where like the person in front of you is driving real slow, the person beside you is driving real slow, and you can't get like an angle to go. You need to get in the right. Was me, and I was oh. And then the person in front of me got over right at the time I needed to get over, and I missed my turn. And I'm yelling. I'm not going to tell you what I said. You would come back to church. I'm ticked. And I heard the voice. Yeah, you're preaching an Easter sermon tomorrow. You're not good enough. You're, really? You're, you're not disciplined enough. You don't, you don't love Jesus enough. What, what do you think you're going to do? God can't, God can't use you. Have you, ever, have you ever wrestled with that? Today, we're going to look at, look at what I think is underlining all of the blanks. And this is what we're going to look at today. I'm not good enough. You ever wrestled with that? Have you ever had that punch you in the face 
2 o'clock in the morning, you can't sleep, not good enough. Maybe you're a student at school, you get your, you get your paper back, the grade's not what you expected it to be, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm, maybe, maybe you go to the Y and you go to work out and you look at the person beside you on the treadmill and you think, not good enough. Not good enough. Maybe, maybe you're at your job and you're, you're working on a project with a team and, and it's, come, it's come to the point where it's time for you to make your contribution and, 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 and you hear the voice in your head, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not blank enough. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not, you're not good enough. It, it seems that no matter how good we are, our good is never good enough. And so what we do is we put, we put people in, in the red chairs and we try to perform for them so that they'll think we're good enough. They'll hit their button, turn around, you're good enough, and we'll feel empowered. Maybe, maybe in one chair we've got, maybe we've got our parents, and, and they may not even be around anymore, but, but the accusations or the lack of affirmation from when we were younger tells us they'll never think we're good enough. Their chair's not turning around. And maybe in another, another one of the red chairs, we, we put friends from, from work or, or school or, or, or from the wire or wherever we hang out. And if, and if I could just get that person to notice me, if I could just get them to approve of who I am and associate with me, if they would just hit that button, I'd be good enough. But they never hit that button. Maybe in another chair, it's somebody from our past, an old boyfriend, girlfriend, an old coach, somebody from, from, from school or college. And if I could just succeed and achieve, then they would have to turn around and I'd be singing on the stage, take a good look at me now. I'm good at it. I don't say. You probably know that already. I'd finally be good enough. Maybe, you know what a lot of us do? In that fourth chair, we put God. And if I could just be really good, if I just read my Bible and pray 30 minutes a day, a chapter a day, 30 minutes of prayer a day keeps the devil away and God will turn around. And He'll hit His button and He'll say, You're good. if I just give enough Happy Meals to homeless people and adopt enough stray dogs, then God will finally turn around, pat me on the back and say, way to go, you're good enough. And yet when we put God in one of those red chairs, even He doesn't turn around. And no matter what we do and no matter how hard we try, none of the chairs ever seem to turn around to say you're good enough. Why? Because our good will never be good enough. There was a guy in the New Testament who knew a thing or two about trying to be good enough. His name was Paul. He lived during the time of Jesus and some decades afterwards. He, was a, he eventually became a, a, a leader in the early church, but, but when we first meet Paul, he's a very smart, highly educated Pharisee. A Pharisee in, in, in those days, they, they were a group of Jewish people who believed that the, the solution for the Jewish culture, the Jewish nation to expel the Roman occupation from Jerusalem was if they could all just be good enough. 
We just need to be good enough. We need to, we need to follow God's law as He has outlined it in the Old Testament, the first section of the, the Bible. If we would just be good enough, then God would come and kick out the Romans and we would have our nation back. If, if we, Paul knew a thing or two about being good enough. And, and, and he takes it upon himself after he has met Jesus and he's completely given up on being good enough. He, he decided to write a letter to the church in the city of Rome. We call it Romans. And he's, he's laying out how this, this attempt to be good enough is, is a futile attempt. In the first four chapters, he just lays it on us. He says, nobody's good is ever going to be good enough. And then he gets to chapter 5. And that's where I want to pick up today. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, the, the Scriptures will be on this big, huge honking screen behind me. Printed on the back of the program you received when you came in. And also on your phone if you have the Bible app from Version. It's a free download. You can, you can take notes in the thing. It's really cool. And so as you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and start. You can look at the screen. Paul says this. He says, Therefore... Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Faith is a fancy word for trust. We've, the, the, Paul's writing to people who have trusted in Jesus. Not trying to be good enough, but I'm going to trust in Jesus. And he says, by trusting in Jesus, we have been made right in God's sight. He says, he says we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, because of our trust in Jesus, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I, I love how he says at the very beginning of that chapter, he says, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus, we have, we have what? We have a, a warm glow in our heart. Well, yeah, but, but there's more than that. We have, we have a new understanding of, of relief. Yes, but, but, but so much. He says we have peace with God. That idea of peace in the, in the Hebrew culture was the, the idea that everything's okay between you and God. There's nothing standing between the two of you. There's nothing coming in and, and disrupting the relationship that you have with God. Paul says because we have trusted in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have the establishment of a loving, welcoming, personal, uh, inviting uh, relationship between us and the Creator of the world. It, it means... Never worrying again if I'm good enough. Am I, am I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. Paul would say, shh, because of Jesus, we have peace with God. Don't put Him in a chair and try to perform for Him to get Him to turn around. You don't have to do that. He, he's good with you. You don't have to be good enough. It seems... You know, when we think about it, it seems impossible, right? I mean, come on. Surely, a relationship with the Creator of the world, with God, it has to be difficult. I mean, that's what most people think. It's got to be tough. 
it. There has to be, Pastor, you got there has to be a lot of prerequisites and preconditions that I have to meet before he'll be good with me. And, and, and Paul would say, no. And we would say, but Paul, surely if, if we come in that way, wouldn't we at least have to work really hard to maintain that relationship? And Paul would say, no. It's not based upon your thoughts. It's not based upon your actions. It's not based upon you and I being good enough. We say it's based on what Jesus Christ has done. Look what he says. He says Jesus has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. We can't be blank enough to get into this position. What position is it? It's it's the position where we are surrounded by God's love, God's generosity, His grace. I'm convinced that's what it means to be truly human. To be surrounded by God, standing in God's presence, not fearful, not stressed out, not worrying, is my good going to be good enough? But what Paul says, to stand there confidently and joyfully, not stressing out, not not continually hearing the voice, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, am I good enough today, Am 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 I good enough? No, 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 no. Confidently, joyfully, in His presence. And we would say, how? Is that possible? How is that even? What happened to achieve that? Paul's going to answer that in the next couple of verses. Jump down with me to verse 6. Look what he says. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were still not good enough, when we were still trying by our own strength, our own dedication, our own devotion, our own do better and try harder, when we were still making a go at it, but coming up empty-handed, he says, Christ died for the ungodly, for the people who, who weren't good enough. People whose bad will always be bad. Like, like not just, you know, not, not your good old boy from, from the South. I'm talking about ungodly. Paul says Christ died for them. And we would say, Paul, that doesn't make sense. That's illogical. That doesn't add up. It's not based in, in reasonable actions. And Paul says as much in the next verse. He says, look, I know very rarely... Will anyone die for a righteous person? You might find them out there somewhere, maybe one in a in a million. Somebody's righteous, really, really good, somebody might die for them. And he says, and 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 and, and though for a good person, step down from righteous, a good person, someone might, perhaps, one person in the world might lay down their life and die for them. Paul says it doesn't make any sense at all. It is completely illogical. Verse 8, he says, but God. And I love that, man. Anytime you see those two words together, like it's almost always awesome. Like you just like need to highlight, circle, put a big star. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Look what he says. While we were still sinners, while we were still not good enough, while we were still not blank enough, Christ died for us. 
Why? Why? It's, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. But Paul tells us, he says, it's because of his own love, not somebody else. He didn't borrow love. He didn't take out a loan on love. It's his own. He decided, he demonstrated. God's love has done for us everything that we need to be done and everything that we shall need to be done. God, when, when we look at Jesus, we are looking at God's love personified. God's love in action. Did you know that God is obsessed with you and me? God, the Creator, is completely, totally obsessed with sinners. He can't get enough of them. This, this, this idea of loving people who don't deserve it, who didn't earn it, who aren't blank enough. God, we would say, if, if, if you and I could pull God into our counsel, give Him a little bit of advice, we might say, God, you, this is not good. Loving everybody. This is, you need to, God, you need to be more selective. Don't you know that there will be people who will not respond. Don't you know that if you love everybody, some people are not going to reciprocate your love? They're not going to respond. Don't you, don't you know that? Everybody's not. Shouldn't you, God, shouldn't you qualify this statement? Shouldn't you put some preconditions. Perhaps, God, maybe, would you just consider only loving the people who are good enough? I mean, obviously, I'm good enough because I reciprocated. I responded, obviously. I mean, I'm good enough. Don't you think, don't you think you might want to, God would say no. And the crazy thing is, He knows he knows that there will be those who reject Him, who do not respond and who do not reciprocate the love that He has demonstrated. And He loves them just as much as those Amen. who will. It's not how we work, friend. Like we, don't, we don't love that way. We, we love people who love us back. And when they don't, we hold our love back. God doesn't work that way. God loves people who will never Love Him in return. And He loves them so much. Paul would tell the, the church in Rome, he, he loves them so much that He sent Jesus to die on a cross to demonstrate that the Creator of the world is obsessed with you and with me. The problem is that, that the enemy, when we read that verse, the enemy tries to get us to stop at the comma after the colon. Because what we do is we read that while we were still sinners and the enemy says, yeah, you're still a sinner. You're powerless. You're, you're, still, you're not good enough. You're, you, you're not good enough now. You'll never be good enough. And you know what? He's right. What we try to do is that when the enemy says that in our, in our heads, you're not good. We, we try to fight against it. Well, I just got to gotta work harder. I got to do better. But the problem is, in that instance, the enemy's telling you the truth. Friends, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. What we need to do instead of fighting 
against what he's saying. We need to finish his sentence. Like, look, bro, God didn't put a period there. He put a comma. And I'm not going to put a period where God put a comma. So let's just go ahead and finish that statement. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, my good and your good and our good is never good enough. But Jesus is enough. That's what I want you to remember today. Our good is never going to be good enough. But Jesus is enough. You know, at Easter time, I'm reminded of the Easter plays that I used to be a part of in West Virginia. My, my little church in West Virginia, we used to put these Easter plays on. And they would last three nights, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. The whole community would come out in the big town, small. But everybody would come out to watch this Easter production. And we would go all out, man. We would transform the inside of the church. And it was, it was, it was, really, it was really cool. But there was, a, there was a couple characters in the story that always confused me. And I actually played one of them most of the time. You see, when Jesus is, is, on, is on trial and He gets sentenced to crucifixion, which was reserved only for the worst criminals... Scripture tells us that he wasn't alone. That there were, there were two thieves. And we don't know what they stole. We don't know how bad they were, but they must have been pretty bad to be crucified. And scripture tells us there are two thieves. And, and, and Mark, Matthew, Mark, and John, they think this, when they're writing their story, the presence of these two thieves is so irrelevant that they don't even talk about it. But Luke clues us in on a conversation that happened while Jesus is there with two guys beside of it. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. I want to read you this and I want to share with you why I was so confused. I still don't really understand. Verse 39 it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? This was my part. I said it in a real redneck voice. I, I would be, I'd typically be on this side of Jesus and I would, I would look, aren't you the Messiah? <laughs> Accents changed a little bit moving around. Won't you save us and yourself? <laughs> that was my part. It's weird yelling at Jesus. But then, Luke goes on to say, verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. He's on this side. So, so this guy looks past Jesus, cranes his neck. Now, he can't really move because he's nailed, right? But he, 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 don't you fear God? He, he looks at him and he says, you and I, we're under the same sentence, but the difference is we are punished justly. We're getting what we deserve, what our deeds have, have deserved. He, he, here's what he says. He's on there and he's, he's beside Jesus, but he's not talking to Jesus. He's looking past Jesus at the other guy. And he says, buddy, me and you, we're not good enough. And our not good enough deserves what we're getting now. We're not blank enough, bro. And our blank has landed us on these crosses. We'll never be good enough, but this guy, 
This guy doesn't deserve what he's getting. This guy has done nothing wrong. He doesn't have a blank. And then he looks at Jesus, and this is the part that I never could wrap my mind around. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus, while he's hanging between heaven and earth, saving the entire world, has the wherewithal to look at my man and say, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I would think, wait, this guy? What? He gets in? What has he done? What does he deserve? He just admitted that he deserves die. He just admitted that he deserves the cross. His good was not good enough. What are you doing? What Jesus, what can he do for you? He's about to die. He's a thug and a rebel. And it's ridiculous, Jesus, that you even have to be near such a guy. And now you got to listen to his his thug confession. Jesus, what are you? I can't believe the audacity of this guy. Who is he to think that he can talk to Jesus? He's an insurrectionist. He's a rebel, a thug. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve his, the breath in his body and he's getting exactly what he deserves. Jesus, this, this guy thinks he can waltz in at the last minute. And he gets in. The longer I looked at the story and read it and, and just stared at the thieves on the cross, I, I, I realized... I know who those thieves are. That's you and me. That's us. We've lived our lives in such a way that we're trying to be good enough and our deeds are getting us exactly what we deserve. Our good is never going to be good enough. And yet we have a choice to make in this play of sorts. Which character do we get to be? Which character are we going to play? Because both of these men are physically close to Jesus, but only one of them is spiritually close. One guy, he's, he's, I'm not good enough. I'm getting exactly what I deserve. This is it for me. This is what my life has earned. And the other guy says, I'm not good enough either, but he is. I'm not blank enough either, but he is. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not disciplined enough. But this guy is. I'm going to put my trust in him. Jesus. I mean, we can we can we can pretend, we can play games, we can play church games, we can continue trying to be good enough trying to earn his love. One day we do pretty good and we feel I'm good enough. The next day we don't and we're right back to where we started. I'm not good enough. And some of us, some of us are like, you know, there are people who are better than others and more deserving than others. Some of us, some of us are good and some of us are actually gooder. The honest truth is, friend, it's all God. It's always been God and it'll always be God. 
It's not about it's not about your devotion and discipline. Your greatest challenge in life, friend, is not being devoted enough. Your greatest challenge is believing that this God and His story is not only true for everybody else, but it's also true for you. Could it be that there is a God with a love so scandalous so wide, so deep, so welcoming, so inviting. Where, where did we get off believing that we could be good enough? That we could somehow get God to turn around and acknowledge us. Friend of Jesus, if His love is enough to save you, His same love is enough to sustain you through every challenge every temptation that you'll face. Our good will never be good enough. But Jesus is enough. Here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. We're going to sing one of the songs we did earlier in the experience together. And while they lead us through this song, would you just take inventory of your life? Have you been trying to be good enough? Have you been trying to fill in the blank and earn and achieve to get God's chair to turn around for you? Have you been auditioning for a crowd who will never respond? Today, I want you to just maybe want to close your eyes and just let the words of the song wash over you. so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.